Hello, I'm Carrie Gard, and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Go to your customers, read their reviews, talk to them, and more often than not, you're going to find the perfect way to position and message your company. Welcome back to season 13. It's been a bit of a wild west these last two years as companies reacted to the pandemic and remote work. And now that the dust is settling, so is reality for companies, which means you all get to take a minute and review our careers, take a step back, note what we love about what we do and find where we want to go next. Which is why this conversation with Yoni Solomon is perfect timing. Yoni is the CMO of Uptime, but his journey to chief marketing officer was unique because his career was built on the product marketing side. The beauty of this conversation is we dig into what product marketing is and how he uses his unique experience and perspective of product-led growth as a CMO. Maybe you're on the product side trying to figure out what's next. Maybe you're a marketing manager and this inspires you to investigate product marketing. Who knows? What's important is that uh, it's an opportunity for us all to take a beat and see what our options are. In this conversation, Yoni shares his product marketing toolkit, and regardless of which side of the marketing fence you're on, you're going to want to take notes on this powerful framework. Before we get there, a little bit about Yoni. Yoni Solomon is a CMO of Uptime. He's been recognized as one of the tech's most influential product marketers by Forbes and the Product Marketing Alliance, which named his team at G2 2019's Product Marketing Team of the Year. Like I said, you're going to want to take notes for this episode. If you're making dinner, going for a walk, or doing a monotonous task, then don't worry. We'll have the transcript ready shortly for you to quickly skim and grab that framework. Here's my conversation with Yoni. Yoni, thank you for joining me on Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. It's very good to be here. It's so good to have you. I'm stoked for our conversation. Before we get there, though, this will lend itself nicely to our conversation. Tell us your journey. What's your story, Yoni? What do you do and how did you get there? Yeah. So, you know, the TLDR on me is my name is Yoni Solomon. I'm the CMO of Uptime.com today. Uh, and I've spent the last 10 plus years um, in marketing, specifically product marketing for highly disruptive and engaging SaaS brands. Uh, most recently, G2, where I was director of product marketing. Um, and I've spent the last decade or so honing my, why don't we call them my product marketing toolkit skills, my messaging, positioning, pricing, packaging, um, campaign launching, um, and have gotten to launch a variety of different products across mobile marketing technology to B2C reviews at Power Reviews to B2B reviews at G2, and now website and uptime monitoring software at uptime.com. And I think I'm really excited to talk to you today about this really kind of fun and exciting journey from, from product marketing all the way to being a head of marketing um, and kind of shedding some light on this idea that product marketers can certainly step into those shoes uh, and become some really, some really you know, solid CMOs in their own right. Did you, uh, in your journey, did you go right from product marketing directly into being a CMO? Did you transition into out of product marketing into any other marketing um, avenues before being CMO or was it, was it a straight jump? Yeah. So I, let me take you all the way back. Uh, I started at my first job out of school at a company called Vibes, um, a mobile marketing and technology leader that's been around since 1998. 
Um, they were building out their marketing team. I started as a customer success associate. Uh, and then suddenly a need popped up. They needed someone to, to write some copy on the website. They were looking to relaunch their website. And at the time, I, I wasn't looking for... I never imagined I'd find my way into marketing. I knew I kind of wanted to get there. I just didn't know if that role was going to be possible for me. But I thought to myself, hey, well, I, I know the, the tool really well, our platform. I use it every day. I know the persona because I'm on the phone with them, talking to them. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm running their reports and I can write a little bit. You know, let me take a crack at this um, and let me write some website copy. And that's how I found my way into marketing from the get-go. Um, but I think what was really fun about joining that team so early in its process of building out a marketing organization is I was able to really be a generalist for, for about five and a half years, um, really honing the rest of my marketing toolkit, if you will. Um, so some of those roles were marketing ops. You know, at the time we, we implemented Marketo, marketing automation was new. You know, I'm showing a little bit of my age here, but marketing <laughs> automation was sort of, you know, the, the, the fresh thing up. And so getting to understand the nuances of how automation works and how to connect different sources of data to run campaigns and build segments started to fill some of those areas for me. I did a lot of thought leadership and content writing started to fill that area of expertise. I did a lot of analyst relations as well. And so I spent, you know, of the five plus years I was there, why don't we say three and a half of those years were spent very much as a marketing manager generalist, getting to play in all of these different areas for, you know, a good piece of time before sort of finding my niche in product marketing starting to launch products consistently, working on messaging and positioning. Um, and so it was from there on, uh, why don't we say for the last seven years where I've been very, very focused on product marketing specifically. Um, and so, of course, that led to me heading to G2, um, building a great product marketing team there before moving on to Uptime as CMO. So it really was a bit of a jump from product marketing to head of marketing, but a lot of that journey was built on a foundation of, of getting to play in all of these different marketing areas that we know and love. Totally. You mentioned, uh, I think it was four or five key product marketing elements in your toolkit. And I want to, I want to pull those apart, but before we get there, what's one challenge you're currently facing? Sure. It's how to take the product marketing skills that I, I know and love that pertain to product launches um, and, and messaging for specific features and capabilities. How do how do I take that very specific skill and spread it across the entire organization to create a fantastic and polished experience anywhere that you are? Something I love, for instance, about Apple is that you never, you never arrive to an Apple page that isn't beautifully crafted and immaculate. Even their, their logins forms are gorgeous. Every single piece of the company has marketing fingerprints all over it to deliver an outstanding experience. And so I think that's sort of the big challenge for me now. You know, we've, we've gone through a rebrand, which we can certainly talk about. We've gone through a pricing and packaging revamp. We can talk about that too. But I think for me, it's how do I create from the moment someone searches for website monitoring online to the moment they subscribe as a customer, they're engaging with our, our G2 profile, our website, um, our platform, all these other places where we live on the internet. How do I create a uniform, beautiful, and elegant experience um, for those prospects or customers anywhere that they are? It's so true. I mean, the minute you land on an Apple, anything, regardless of whether it's on their website or outside their website or even in their store, it's, you don't even need to see an Apple logo. You know, you know where you are. Yeah. It's always perfect. It's always on brand down to the, down to the font on the packaging. 
of, mm-hmm. of the phones or the buds or whatever you're buying. Um, everything is so perfectly crafted. And so I think that's a big challenge for us, especially startup CMOs when things are moving so fast, we don't have as many resources yet the expectations around just a, a polished, really good looking experience anywhere that your customers or prospects are, it, it makes the stakes pretty high. I imagine though, and, and I feel this too, as a small business that if you can get those elements right, right now and take the, take the time to figure out what those are when you don't have as many moving pieces in terms of scale, because as you scale, the moving pieces get much more complex. And then, and then it feels like moving Titanic versus a tugboat, like in those rebranding moments. So it feels like this is actually the perfect time for you to lay that groundwork of exactly who you are as uptime and bring that through the organization. And then as you scale, that will just perpetuate through ideally in a perfect world. Because if you don't nail down those, those brand guidelines early, the more stuff that you're launching, the whole, you're just digging a deeper hole for yourself of all of this work that you then need to go back and recorrect and repolish and refine. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, being on the other side of our rebrand now, you know, we're, we, we've, we established a brand style guide. And I think across the board, I'm seeing some good uniformity, if that's a word, but you know, we really want to make sure that we're updating that style guide and constantly taking a look at even the, the tiles on our blog, you know, these, these, these little details that we think only matter to our eye. But, you know, when someone is popping onto your website or checking you out elsewhere, they're looking for all of those things now. And if, if you're going to stand out today in a SaaS landscape where there are dozens, if not hundreds of companies that look and sound just like you in every category, yeah, you have to be buttoned up and polished from end to end. I want to talk about the five, I think you mentioned five things in your toolkit. Let's, let's break those down for a minute, because I do think in everything that we just talked about in terms of your challenge, that those are, those are the foundational pieces to, to building that brand. All right, let's talk messaging and positioning. Yeah. So I think this is, you know, the first, you know, big primary tool, um, especially from the product marketing toolkit that I use and live and breathe every day. Um, You know, for us as product marketers, it's our job to fundamentally understand how our products work, you know, who they're for, the problems that they solve. And then it's our job to also understand our audiences, our different cohorts of customers and prospects and users really well, really well, and to essentially connect, you know, the tools and the problems that we're solving to the people who could use those tools to solve those problems. Um, And so upon joining Uptime, for instance, you know, one of the most important things that I could start with right off the bat was, you know, a total rebrand of the company that was going to encompass a website relaunch too. But before we started to get into any of the branding work, I really wanted to tackle the messaging and positioning. Um, I really wanted to understand how we were presenting today and whether that was resonating with customers. And so um, I had customer interviews, of course, started to listen to recordings, um, start to build sort of this analytical and anecdotal data to help me better understand whether we're positioned correctly. Um, But I think one of the most interesting exercises I went through for messaging and positioning that I recommend to anyone on this call was I went and scraped, let me see, G2, Trustpilot, Captera, Software Advice, and maybe one or two other review sites. Every single review or quote or piece of content that was ever written about Uptime that a customer had, had shared, I took, I popped it into a presentation and I started to sort by different topic clusters. And before I knew it, I started to bake out five distinct value propositions based on these groupings of reviews. And 
I didn't know it at the time, but those, those value propositions ended up making their way into our message house, which is our foundational messaging document. And that ended up being the, the core positioning that we used to essentially relaunch the entire website. I mean, even down to our tagline of uptime means peace of mind came directly from several reviews where peace of mind just kept popping up. Um, and so a good product marketer doesn't need to create any of this stuff in a vacuum. It shouldn't be me in an ivory tower, you know, being whimsical and, and spinning up tales over things that I think sound and resonate best. Go to your customers, read their reviews, talk to them. And more often than not, you're going to find the perfect way to position and message your company. Um, and so that was really sort of piece one uh, of the toolkit that I applied to uptime upon joining. Yeah. I, and I, I love that. We're actually doing our own brand study right now. And we did, a, mm. well, we didn't do the reviews. We did the review sites a little bit because we are on clutch. And so we were able to dig into some of those. Um, we definitely talked to our existing customers because no better place. Like they're still with us. Like why tell us why you work with us. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and then, yeah. um, and our, our, and our teammates, our employees, like, so we did two very big deep dives there and yeah, the, the information you find is fascinating because like, to your point, the ivory tower, you sort of sit in as the people who started the company and built it and versus what's actually happening on the ground are sometimes too sometimes they align, sometimes they're a bit different and, and finding sort of that happy medium between the two is, is it's really fun. Yeah. It's like such a and, nerd and saying that, but it's like really it, fun. It's so fun. It, and also, you know, getting, you know, that messaging and positioning, if you can be in an ivory tower and spin up something beautiful, but, but beware, because if it, if it doesn't resonate with the audience, if you didn't actually ground that in, in the things that they were feeling or the problems that they were looking to solve, that's when you start to launch landing pages or emails that just have zeros across the board. They, they don't convert. Um, and that just turns into a, you know, a very awkward conversation, you know, for you and your team when suddenly nothing is moving the way that it should. Um, you know, I think that there's, there's five key sections for those out there who are looking to go through a messaging process for the company. You know, first and foremost, if it's, if it's a SaaS product, start with the product demo, um, you know, really get an idea of how the tool looks, it feels and works. It's going to be really hard for you to message anything if you, if you haven't actually used it yourself or seen it in action. Second piece is follow it up with some market research. Understand your total addressable mar your market. Who are the buyers? Um, are they different from the end users of the tool? Um, really make sure that you understand the segments and the regions involved with your total addressable market as well. Then number three, no one likes to do this, but we all have competitors out there do a bit of competitive research, right? We don't live in a vacuum where we're the only ones doing all this stuff all the time. Really understand how they position themselves, what holes you could poke in their stories from a competitive standpoint, and then also turn that around. We all don't like to do this because we all are very protective over our companies and our brands, but really have an honest conversation with yourself. What holes would a clever product marketer on the other side of the fence be poking in your system, in your tools? Um, and then the last two pieces are, of course, customer voice, whether that's live interviews, recordings, reviews, there, there are so many ways to do that, but, but really infuse your messaging with customer voice to make sure it resonates. And then the last piece that often goes ignored is I actually like to hop into my CRM as, a, as just sort of a last step and take a look at some of the accounts, whether they be prospects or customers, some of the roles and titles, win-loss notes, just to make sure that we actually have the kind of people in our systems that we're trying to market to, right? I, the last thing I want to do is spin up a whole launch with messaging and positioning around a persona that, that doesn't really exist for us. And so check your own CRM, dive into some of those deals. And if you can take all of those five things in order, by the end of that, yeah, you should end up with some pretty rock solid positioning that's primed to convert. I imagine the sales team loves this because- yes. 
you know, what we're finding too is when you get more specific about who your audience is and you can really understand that, then the people who are coming in are the people who really do want to work with you. And so it's less yeah. sales work for them to sort of sift through. Totally, that. totally. It also makes the sales team so much more comfortable on calls when folks are coming through, because especially today, you know, personalization isn't just a, it's not a buzzword. You know, every, everyone expects to hop onto a call and for you to really understand who they are and, and what they need. And so the more information you can arm your own messaging and positioning with, and then take that, distill it down to battle cards, email templates for your sales team. Yeah. Then you're going to have a really uniform experience back to experience, by the way, of consistent messaging and presentment on the website all the way through to those sales conversations and demos that they're having on the other side. Yeah. And it's, a, it's that seamless, it's that seamless messaging of, you know, if everybody's saying the same thing, if they show up to customer success or a different salesperson, or um, there's messaging on the website, everybody's saying the same thing and it's not disjointed of. Yeah. In terms as my of the messaging experience. As my brilliant wife likes to say, everyone's reading from the same book and that's what you want. Oh, love that. I know, it's my favorite quote too. Oh. I'm writing it down. Okay. So messaging and positioning, anything else in that, that you feel like people need to know in order to be really successful? And because that's like the, if you don't get that figured out and right, then everything else, I'm assuming that you build on top of that is going to. Not go yeah. as well. Yes. Every, like the, the house of cards, if you will, crumbles, if you don't get that foundation done the right way, because that messaging and positioning gets transformed into external messaging on the website, right? That's your website copy. That's the copy in your presentations, the copy in your emails, in your ads, but it's all sourced from the same material. Um, and then the last thing that I would kind of highlight is adjacent to messaging and positioning is why don't we call it product presentment? You know, really think through if you're in SaaS, the, the visuals, the screenshots, the, the GIFs, you know, how are you going to convey visually, you know, your, your product story um, across your site? I think for me as a product marketer, I always, in, I over-index on the copy and on the messaging. And sometimes I haven't focused as much on the visuals when really the visuals are the most important thing. It's what everyone looks at first before they read any of the words. Um, and so just make sure that as a, as a head of marketing or as a product marketer, that you're balancing both of those accordingly. I do the opposite. I'm the other way around. Yeah. Wave it start the visuals. on the images. And yep. then I do not, I can, I'm not a wordsmith. And so it's nice to find that balance and finding people who are, you know, using the full breadth of your team to, to yeah. own that. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So we're talking about this house of cards. You got your messaging and your positioning situated. What comes mm -hmm. next? Yeah. Now let's talk about every marketer's favorite topic, which is pricing and packaging. Um, it's big, it's scary, probably because there are a lot of unknowns around it. Um, and it takes, it takes a certain degree of trial and error and, and even risk um, before you can truly get your packaging right. Um, and so, you know, there's not a one size fits all. It all depends on the industry that you're in, um, the type of service that you're providing. Um, but one of the sec, you know, really if messaging and positioning and the rebrand were, were the number one most important thing upon coming to Uptime, I would say pricing and packaging was 1A. Um, you know, when I joined Uptime, we were, we had four fixed SaaS plans that we were offering to our users, um, much to their, to their frustration. Um, you know, what they wanted was more flexibility from our tool. And, and I think at times, and I've certainly felt like this as a SaaS user as well, you can feel very pigeonholed 
um, between these, these defined SaaS plans where suddenly if you need, you know, I'm in the middle of a negotiation where I need a few more marketing contacts added to my marketing automation tool. I have, I might have to upgrade to an entirely higher plan that's full of pricing and tools that I don't really need. And it just, it just creates friction, you know, within again, your experience. Yeah. The other thing that bothers me is like when they give you a certain amount of seats and then Mm -hmm. you hire one more person that tips you into the next bucket and now you're you're up to enterprise. Yeah. And and you're paying certain amounts for one extra person. Yes. Totally. Yeah. Flexibility. I totally agree Mm -hmm. when it comes to SaaS. So what does that mean in flexibility? You talked about, we're we're talking about seats. You're talking about um, features, right? Like what I would use. Seats are definitely one of those as well. For our system, we have a variety of features like monitoring checks for your website, um, alerts that are triggered to your phone when downtime happens. But yeah, user accounts are part of that as well. And again, this is part of creating a a beautiful uniform experience, not just across your marketing, but across your your product as well, which is so incredibly important. Um, And so we actually moved away from these four fixed SaaS plans that we were offering to a a unit-based model. Um, that allows folks to pop into our, our platform, essentially pick and plug. You know, I need more alert credits. I need 10 more user seats and literally just check out right wow. there without having to work through sales. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a marketing campaign that's wrapped in a product, if you will. Um, and so I got to work with the team to blow up those, pa- those pricing packages, move to this flexible model, um, and we released that as well. So that was really my, my second big foray um, upon joining Uptime. That's so fun. Yeah, and, that one was fun. And I feel like messaging and positioning can kind of, I, I've heard both product marketers and VP of marketing um, and marketing managers talk about messaging and positioning. I feel like that can go to either side. I've heard it on both sides, but I haven't heard a lot. I haven't heard any marketing managers really or, or VP of marketing people talk about pricing and packaging. That feels very much a product marketing role and responsibility. Totally. And that was a great opportunity for me to bring some of those product marketing chops into this role. I was like, yes, all right. I got another thing in my toolkit that covers the need that we have here. Um, And, you know, it it was also my first experience, not just putting together messaging and positioning in in the launch, which we'll talk about next for this, this pricing new model that we had, but I also did the product management around it. So I got to work with developers. I got to live within Figma, create specs. And, you know, of course those specs all require copy, right? Because now we're, we're basically breaking apart all of the different units that we sell individually. They all need a headline. They all need some positioning. Um, And so, and so suddenly I'm like, oh, wait, all of this foundational stuff I did in our messaging documents that lives on the website. Now I have to refine this and distill it into platform messaging. And how am I presenting each of these dozen plus different things that we offer individually? How are we going to package them? How many units? What's the cost? Um, and so it really forced me as a product marketer to go down the rabbit hole on that launch to provide end-to-end support, product management, and then the subsequent messaging and marketing and bringing it to life. That sounds like a huge undertaking. It was, it was big, but you know, really, really fun too. Because I think at the end of the day, the most important thing we can do as marketers is listen to our users. And we're hearing again and again that, hey, I have to... I have to update to en- upgrade to an enterprise plan for one more account. This is crazy, right? That experience yeah. that you just talked about. All we were doing was listening to our users and then finding the right experience to deliver back to them. But yeah, it was it was a big one. Both the rebrand and like the the, the messaging revamp plus pricing and packaging was about 
it's about six, six, seven months of work. Yeah. I, I bet. To I bring bet. to life. Yeah. Because that impacts, it's not just pricing and packaging, right? I mean, that impacts the product itself on how it's built. Totally. And the way that we enable our teams, right? Thinking about our support teams and our sales teams who are used to selling our tools in a very certain way, um, a complete revamp of our pricing page and trying to find the right way to present that story. It, it touched to everything. Um, but I think that we, I think for a long time, it's, it's been, you know, pricing and packaging is this kind of big and mysterious thing. You know, we'll let product marketing worry about it, but you know, I think all of us as marketers, whether we're in demand gen brand content or SEO, getting close and really understanding what we're selling, how much it costs, how it's packaged and who we're selling it to. These are fundamentals that make all of us better marketers because then that informs the ad copy um, that we're rolling out across SEO and SEM. It's going to inform the content that we're writing and the way that we're presenting our new pricing and blogs. Um, it's going to impact sales demos and the way that we position ourselves up front. And so again, just seeing you know the connective tissue um, between all of this stuff to again, build this this really uniform, consistent experience that anywhere you are, anywhere you're learning about uptime, you're getting the same information. It's consistent, it's polished, and it's elegant. I'm looking at your pricing page now because I can't help myself and I'm a visual person. And it's it's big. Like yeah, it's, there's there's a lot of components. Yeah. I imagine it's really helpful though, you know, as you talk about, which I think we're probably going to move into in a minute, but what which we're going to get to, spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, the funnel, right? Mm -hmm. So you know, when you have more components and you can really walk people through over, over time through that, um, as well as customer success in terms of upselling and cross-selling, like I imagine this is a huge payoff in the long yes, run. Yes, definitely. All right. Next piece of the house of cards. Yeah. Launch. Let's talk about some launches. We've been doing a bit of that at Uptime as well. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So, so what does launch mean What in terms of product marketing? Yeah. And so it, it sounds a lot like what it is. You know, it's, it's product marketing's focus on taking a capability of some kind, um, a, a solution or a problem that we believe we can solve with technology and essentially going through a five-step process uh, to subsequently bring that product to the right audience um, at the perfect time for them. And so I've spent the last decade or so, um, launching products pretty consistently, um, with a five-step process, uh, that I've created. Um, and so I can walk you through each of those stages and tell you a little bit about them. But I, before we hop into the process, I, I want to first just touch on why it's so important to have that process to begin with. Um, you know, for, for folks on customer facing teams, whether they be sales, um, support or CS, um, more often than not, when there's, when there's no sort of defined process in place, the way that we roll out new things is totally up to whoever happens to be rolling it out that day. Um, and so many organizations that I've joined that didn't have product marketing in place already, you know, some products were on the website, some products were not on the website, some products we sent out an announcement email for, some stuff we literally never even told the internal teams that we launched it. No one even knew that it was around. It is just like a smorgasbord, right? Of like of different people and different tactics. And so establishing a process right up front for how we're going to deliver new products to the market, um, it creates an element of, um, of just comfort and consistency with the people on the front lines. And so I, you know, I always like to say, I never try to hire product marketers who never worked in sales or CS. I started in CS at G2. All of my product marketers either came from a CS or sales role because it builds 
your empathy muscle a little bit, right? When you're, mm-hmm. when you're, when you're on the front lines and you're carrying a bag and someone is coming at you to try to pull you into training for an hour to talk about something that you've never heard of before, mm-hmm. right? Like we have to, we have to find a better way of internal enablement and communication. And so this five-step process is really there to help us do that. Um, and so I'll kind of walk you through all five stages and show you sort of how we, we use those to constantly vet um, and revet and revet our products and our messaging before we bring them to market. Um, and so stage one is ideation. Ideation is typically done in between product marketing and the product management org. And it sounds like what it is. It's a, you know, typically product is coming to us to say, Hey, we have found a problem in the market that maybe a customer or a prospect has brought up to us or through research, we found an opportunity for it, but we believe that we can solve this problem with technology. Maybe that's a new product or a partnership integration, or even just a feature enhancement to an existing product. But this is where product management and product marketing are going to go back and forth, right? How real is this thing? Um, what would we call it? Could we, could we price and package it? Is it actually relevant to our customers? Before we ever leave stage one, let's make sure that this entire exercise actually is going to be to the benefit of our end users. Because otherwise, we're again, sitting in the ivory tower, spinning whimsical mm-hmm. tales, and we're just launching stuff for the sake of launching it, and no one uses it. Um, right. And so that's kind of phase one of ideation is a lot of thinking and discussion, discussing and hopefully some, why don't we call it like healthy debate um, in between the product management and the product marketing team. Yeah. And I don't skip that step because <laughs> don't skip oh, that step. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, skip it at, at your own, at your own risk, because then you go through this entire process where there's a lot of, look, product, product launches are the most expensive thing a company can do. You're dedicating dev resources, which are expensive product management resources to the most expensive um, teams in the entire company are dedicated on building these products. You're pulling product marketers into message and build resources and tools then you're going to pull sales and customer success in to train them. Then you're going to email and message all of your customers. Like it's, it's one yeah. of the most expensive and heavy lifts you can do from an internal alignment perspective. And if it's for a product or that no one needs, Ooh, that could be rough. Totally. Totally. Yeah. No, I think that's important. So what comes after ideation then? So you have this idea, you've edited it. You think it's the, you think yes, from the information you have available, that this is going to be a thing. What next? Totally. So we, we think it's a good idea. We've proven it. We all high five and we're like, awesome. Let's go to stage two. Stage two is build. And so two things are happening at the same time, at the same time in stage two. Um, on the product management side, this capability, let's just call it a new product, is going to be put on the product roadmap. We're going to assign dev resources to it. And we're actually going to start building this thing. Um, but as they're actually building the product, we on the product marketing side are beginning to build our launch. And so we're now getting our messaging and positioning in place. We're going to start some customer interviews. We're doing research. Those five stages of messaging vetting that I talked about, that's going to begin here. We're going to start to think about what the product should be called, um, how we would package it, um, what our launch plan should be. We should be scoping this launch. Is this a tier one launch where we're going to be creating every tool and resource and doing seeded media campaigns? And like, are we throwing the whole kitchen sink behind this? Or is this a, a tier three smaller product update that only just requires, I don't know, like an in-app message and a quick email to sales and support? You know, how much weight are we putting behind this thing? Um, but by the end of stage two, what we should have is a product that's ready to be tested um, along with some bare bones messaging and positioning. Um, so for some clarity on how we would talk and price and package this thing. 
All right. Yeah, no, that makes that. I love how you're talking about build from the sense of the actual product itself, but thinking about an extension of that is the, is the packaging and the pricing. I mean, that's an extension of the product itself. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's like, we can't just, build. we can't just build a product without thinking about how we roll it out because yeah. then at the end of the day, no one's using it. And again, that just creates an awkward conversation with your product management team and your SLT when they're like, Hey, we spent all this time building this thing. We don't have a single you like, you know, why doesn't sales know this exists? Right. Um, so really getting our ducks in a row before we move into stage three, which is all about soft launch. And that is where for the first time, before you get, get there, this- one quick yeah. question. Sure. It sounds like in the build stage, you're, you're in parallel path too. You're not, this isn't waterfall. You're not waiting for the product to be built and parallel be perfect. Path. And then you're creating the messaging and the packaging with it. You're the dev team's going and the product team's going at the same time. Both of us are working towards soft launch because really okay. we can't, we can't get in front of customers to test anything. If we, if all we have is the tool, like I, right. I actually think that soft launch, which, you know, is, is beta testing, right. That's a, an opportunity for us to test product naming, to test messaging, to tee up ideas for pricing, right. We shouldn't just be asking a customer, Hey, can you click around and tell me if this works? I want to say, Hey, customer, this is what this is. This is what we're calling it. These are the problems that we think it solves. Does this make sense to you? Because if, if the messaging doesn't resonate, even if we built this amazing product, the last thing that I want to do is launch an amazing capability with messaging that's totally off. And then again, your campaign comes back with all zeros. So I'm using that as the first litmus test to say, Hey, customer, are we, are we on the right track here before we email a million people about this exact messaging? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I imagine people like being part of a beta. Like there's a bit of like, oh, I'm one of the, I get to impact the product. Like I'm one of the first in here. I feel like that's a bit of a badge of honor to be totally. part of that. How totally. do you find those people? Do you just, do, do you, uh, do you sort of have like a handful of people you always sort of go to for these things? Do you do like a soft launch in terms of marketing? What, how, how do you get people into the beta? Yeah. You know, in a perfect world, depending on the size of the company, I, I am for 10 beta testers per new product. Um, you know, we're working alongside product management and they're always going to have their, their go-tos um, in terms of folks that they've just worked with again and again, that have sharp eyes for usability, um, which is fantastic. Um, but when it comes to these invites, I actually try to break it out by cohort. So depending on what the launch is, let's take a look at our customer base and let's build ourselves a segment of if this is for a certain type of role or title, for a company of this size and an end user like this, let, let's see if we can find ourselves five to 10 of these people. Those invites will typically come out from product management. People are just more likely to say yes to, to product managers than they are to marketers for stuff like this. Um, but then marketing certainly hops on the call um, and we'll start to ask some of those questions. And it turns into this dual session of right up front, we lead with usability testing. We walk them through the tool. We see if they can navigate it easily, if it solves all the jobs to be done that they had in their mind. And then I can come in with some of my questions to make sure that messaging, positioning, and naming are right. And I think it's kind of a, it's a surprise to them because I think they're expecting to be asked about the product. They're not always expecting to be consulted on the marketing. And I think they do like having a voice in the room to say, actually, yeah, I, I think that name is pretty good. I, I ask about naming a lot. That's always the funniest one. And some people come out with some wacky names and then others will sit there for five to 10 minutes and be like, yeah, I can't think of anything else to call this. I think you nailed it. <laughs> so that's always kind of fun to do back and forth. Yeah, that's awesome. 
do you let, do you, in terms of the beta, the soft launch, the beta testing, that's not paid, right? That's just you mm-hmm. sitting down with people doing demos and showing them, or do you actually give them the product for them to try out? And then like, what's sort of the experience for the, for the tester on that side? Yeah, it, it's, it's not paid. You know, we, you know, they're, they're hopping on more often than not because they asked for a tool like this. Um, so right up front when, you know, an ideation most, if not all of those ideas should be coming from your customers, right? Again, bringing us out of the ivory tower or building tools for real people. Um, and so more often than not, the idea or the problem is coming from them, which is why they're more likely to hop on for some usability testing because the, the narrative to be, hey, we, we took your feedback seriously and we actually built something that I think you'd, you'd really like to take a look at. Um, and so it's not paid in any way, but certainly they feel like they have spit skin in the game if this idea was, was one that came from them in the first place. Right, right. All right. So you beta tested it. It's passed. It's checked all the boxes. It's a thing. It's moving forward. So what's next? Yeah. So we've all high-fived. We got messaging right. We've got our product that's ready to go and vetted. Now we're moving into stage four, which is GTM launch. And I think if you, if you took your whole company and blindfolded them and asked them, what stage do you most associate with a product launch? I think most people would say stage four, because that's, that's the fun, flashy stuff. The keys are in the ignition. Press releases are going out, websites being updated, email blasts are going out. We are, we are really launching this thing. But I think the, the key with stage four is that the product launches that I've been involved with or have seen that end up petering out after maybe a couple of weeks, it peters out because most folks stop at stage four, which is, all right, we've launched this thing. Press releases are out. Let's move on to the next thing. That's not necessarily how people work, right? We have to tell them tell them again, and then, and then tell them probably like two or three more times just for good measure. Um, and so if we stop at stage four, we, risk, we run the risk of losing the attention of our buyers, which is why stage five, which is go to market continued, which is the last stage is so important. That's the continuous marketing that we're going to be doing around this capability. New thought leadership, new emails, all sorts of new case studies and campaigns. Um, we have to build an ecosystem worth of content that is equally discoverable by customers and also equally discoverable by Google, right? To, to really create um, life um, and, and attention and awareness for this capability. And so that's really the sort of five stages from end to end. And in, in theory, in stage five, go to market continued, we should be continuing to talk to our customers to pick up feedback on what we can do to improve. And then we go all the way back around to ideation. And that's how we suddenly create this sort of beautiful cycle of yeah. collecting feedback, moving into ideation, messaging, building, testing, and launching all over again. Question. What's the difference between a product and a feature? Sure. That's a good question. I get asked it a lot. So a product is something that you could sell as a standalone. Um, it, it is its own thing, has its own tagline, own pricing associated with it. A feature, for instance, is going to be something that lives under the product within your product hierarchy. And so you can make, for instance, a feature enhancement to an existing product, and you can perhaps charge a bit more for that. Um, but really, more often than not, the things that you're selling um, as one-offs or associated with the package are going to be these primary products, and then the features are going to be living under those. So when I'm looking at your pricing page for uptime, are those all individual features that you've then priced out or are those different products? It's a great question. I think uptime, it creates a very fascinating conundrum for this, right? Because prior, you know, the, with those fixed plans that we were talking about, Mm -hmm. you can make the argument that at the time 
you, you couldn't really buy any of those things as one-offs, right? So they were, I would argue that the packages were almost the products. But now that we moved to this unit-based piece, in its own way, all of these former features that lived under a, like a productized plan are now their own products in a sense, because you can buy each of them individually. And so they're a little bit of both. I think there's a lot of haziness as, as more customers move to unit-based pricing mm -hmm. um, versus like your typical SaaS plans. I would consider them to be standalone products that are sold on a unit-based basis, but each of them needs their own messaging. The alerts are going to be different than the monitoring checks. The reports are going to be different from the status pages. Those are each their own thing and require their own marketing and messaging and pricing um, to bring them to life. So now we're essentially in the go-to-market continued phase for the dozens of <laughs> yeah. uh, individual products that live, yeah. uh, live under the uptime pricing. Interesting. In terms of before, you know, as a product marketer, I'm, I'm sure you worked under CMOs and marketing leaders who didn't have the product piece that you do. How do you feel like it's different with you sitting, you know, with this toolbox you have and sitting in that CMO seat? Are, are you managing the product team and the marketing team, maybe sales or like what sort of, I'm just trying to understand the impact of like, somebody with this toolkit versus not. Yeah, I, so we have, a, we have an amazing chief product officer who's one of our co-founders. He manages the product team. Um, I, I don't manage the product team per se. I'm very much a dotted line. And I think I'm, I'm closer certainly to the product org than the, than the average CMO might be, just given that I, I really started more on the product side of the house. As a product marketer, I've reported directly to a CMO, CEO, CPO, chief product officer and a CRO. So I've really kind of bounced mm -hmm. around a little bit because product marketing, it lives like in the intersection, right? Of, of like your sales team, your marketing team and your, your product team. And you're not quite products. You're not quite sales. You're not even quite marketing, like in the traditional yeah. sense of the word, but you're kind of all of them at the same time. Um, I think marketing product marketing does best when it reports under the marketing org. Um, that said, I think that's, I think that me bringing my product marketing toolkit to the table has certainly helped us in terms of getting close to the product and really, you know, bringing these product launches to life. Though at the same time, I think that, you know, that there are a lot of traditional CMOs that come from brand and demand gen. Certainly when I started my career in marketing, I was told and kind of saw that the, the most direct path to marketing leadership was going to be through brand and demand. And I do think that those kind of CMOs bring things to the table that I needed a little bit of time to learn. So I'm still learning a ton around, around search. Uh, really optimizing content, um, really architecting the funnel, you know, all the stuff that's kind of living in the bones of a, of a tried and true demand gen leader, whereas the brand folks are to come to the table with these beautiful, gorgeous ideas and, and really differentiated campaigns for driving awareness. Every CMO who comes from one of those backgrounds brings something different. But I do think that the product marketing toolkit has certainly helped me for these immediate needs with uptime as pertains to the messaging and positioning and the pricing and patching stuff that we did. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely bring in demand gen support as well as brand support now underneath this umbrella and this beautiful framework that you have. I mean, they they mm -hmm. bubble up into that so beautifully from a messaging and positioning standpoint, as well as the go-to-market, both in the soft launch, the the big launch, and then the continuous launch. I mean, there's definitely yeah. ways those two elements could definitely be brought through easily. And maybe I'm biased, but I would think that, you know, this idea of starting with a demand gen hire as your head of marketing, it certainly works when you're in your early stages and you, you need to, 
you need to get some leads in the door yeah, and you need true. to, and you need to convert. But, um, when you, when you make your head of marketing, that first hire a product marketer, like you said, everything, everything can be built around that person because the, the ads that you're running, the brand campaigns you're doing, even the content that you're writing it all, it all needs to come from somewhere. It needs to be sourced from someone who truly understands the product, our audience and how to connect the two with the problems that we're solving. And I think that when you start with a product marketer, like you said, it can feed into all of those different areas. Whereas if you start with, you know, someone who's coming from a demand gen perspective, they're still going to need a storyteller, you know, to, you know, they're still going to need someone who can really understand the nuances of the pricing and packaging and our different audience cohorts to even build segments and run campaigns. Um, and so I'm certainly biased in this regards, but I, I love the idea of starting with a product marketer and then finding the right demand gen or growth talent, right brand talent, SEO and content so that everyone again is reading from the same book um, when they're working on all their activities. I kind of want to leave it there because I love that quote so much, but I have one last question for you. Sure. It sounds like it really depends on the company in its stage of where it is. Like, I feel like you've gotten, you, you sort of landed an uptime at the perfect moment because they needed this rebrand in such a powerful way of being able to be that person to be that big picture, to take that step back, to figure out where their existing customers and their potential customers are coming from of what they need. And then really building this entire new launch around that. So where I feel like more enterprise, a bigger, a, a bigger Titanic, so to speak, company, while a product, product manager CMO could def, definitely work, I don't see why it couldn't. It, but a different, a different superpower come, you know, there, there's more flexibility there. I think, I think you just sort of landed in this beautiful moment in time. So companies who are listening, who are having the same moment in time might want to consider a product marketer. Yeah. That CMO seat. And, and also marketers who are, who are looking for their first head of marketing role. You know, we, we look at things like how beautiful the website is or, how much money they've raised. And, and, and I, we look for, I think, some of these more superficial things sometimes when we're vetting opportunities and even things like compensation and benefits, all that stuff is really important. But for you as a marketer, whatever walk of life it is, demand gen, growth, content, SEO, um, events, field, product marketing, look at the stage that that company is in. Um, are they pre-series A, post-series A? Have they found product market fit yet? Or to your point, are they a, a massive enterprise? All of those are going to require, a, I think, a different type of marketing leader to come in where like in those early stage days, I would lean into demand gen. Yeah, we need to, we need to build some demand generation right up front and get some leads and get those first users in. Um, maybe as we scale up to series B, now we have product market fit, but we don't really know how to talk about it very well. So now we probably need to find ourselves a product marketer to really bridge that gap and give our, our brand a facelift, our messaging a facelift so that we can present in a more mature and aligned way. And then as you're moving into enterprise, I think at that point you need a real brand visionary, right? Because now you're talking about global marketing, not just different audience cohorts, but different countries, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like um, presenting well to, to investors and to the public. All of those are going to require a marketer with a slightly different superpower. And so for you, if you're looking for your first leadership role, um, vet the company too. Vet the stage that they're at. And really ask yourself, yeah, do I do I have the tools in my toolkit that could be the perfect fit at the perfect time for this company? 
Oh, Yoni, this was so good. And I know that we could keep talking because we didn't cover all of, um, you, you had some other, other things that you could certainly add, you know, talking about funnel um, and content marketing, but I just think I want to sit here with this. This is such yeah. good content for our audience and a great place to start. And I'm just going to have to have you back. I mean, oh. I guess I'll just have to come back. I could just have to come back. Before we close out, I do have my people first question because you are more than a CMO and a product marketer, and it's nice to know a little bit more about you. So are you ready? Sure. If you could be with your team, maybe you're getting together soon. Maybe things are starting to open up. Maybe you're starting to get into the office or maybe you're just doing like virtual, not virtual, but um, like in-person events down the road. But when you do see your people and you are all together, what song would you want to be playing and why? Wow. That is a good question. Um, I love, Ooh, what song would we like to play? That is such a good question. Um, probably like, let it be just cause it's been such a, such a long time since we've all been together. I feel like we need some sort of big unifying anthem that just puts us all in a good place. So I'm going to roll with, let it be. Oh, I could start crying. Just thinking of that song just <laughs> hits my heart. Oh, Yoni was so good. Thank you yes. so much for joining me. It was a pleasure. That was my conversation with Yoni Solomon. You can find him on LinkedIn. He advocates for mental health and wellness. Be sure to connect and follow. His link is in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. If you enjoyed this conversation with Yoni, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share. This podcast was brought to you by MKG Marketing, the world's premier marketing agency for cybersecurity vendors, focusing on SEO, digital ads, and analytics. It's hosted by me, Carrie Gard, CEO and co-founder of MKG Marketing, music mix and mastering done by Austin Ellis. And if you'd like to be a guest, please visit mkgmarketinginc.com to apply. <laughs>